hard and it seems to me it reminds me of high school memories where every day was as fresh as the bright blue sky 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 <laughs> hello and welcome to the jordan high 2004 podcast this is steve and this is gonzo gonzo how you doing good how's it going steve i'm good i'm good it's a it's pioneer day yeah so you'll hear during the episode Tons of fireworks going off. My kids running up, up and down the downstairs. So happy pioneers! To <laughs> tons, tons of fireworks and uh, and noises. And so kids excited. Really, yeah. really looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. We got together uh, with with BJ's family and a few friends, and I borrowed your karaoke machine. I'm like, I was like, did ninety percent of the singing on it. <laughs> Eventually, the Bonnie was giving me like the cut it out like noises. But, like people are just sitting at the table talking. I'm like, no, everyone come here and sing. It's just like I needed you there to like. There wasn't enough. Like I, I felt like if if someone else was singing, it would have brought in more of the people that didn't want to. Like would have what I have in. learned is no one else would have come to sing with us, but you and I would have had a great time. I know, right? No, no, but I no. think Bonnie would have sang. And Nat would have sang, but Bonnie didn't sing at all because it was just me saying like, Bonnie, come on, like, come sing a song with me. And then she's just like too embarrassed because there was the, the pressure, the social pressure was on the non-singing side versus me. Uh, the kids were singing like the good, I don't know, Shay Smith was there. And right before he, le- he left, he's like, I'm like, you can't leave without singing. So we sang a song together. And then he's like, that's so much fun. And like, okay, let's do one more. But then then, then he had to then leave. Natalie. Yeah, but he was all on board at that point. So Natalie is a great wife. And she lets me know things that I do that are really weird. And she was like, the last time we did it, and we were doing it till like 11 o'clock. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, she was like, you need to give other people a chance to sing. If you're singing every single time. No, that's like, she's she's totally wrong. You're, <laughs> you're totally fine because if I if you're singing a lot and I want to, I'm like, hey, it's my turn. You know, it's just like no, but people don't want to do that. It's okay. We just got to get a few drinks in everybody. I know. It I would know. change immediately. I think two drinks, or it's like that meme where it's like I'm not gonna sing tonight, and it's like me three d- drinks later, and it's like The Rock holding the mic. Like <laughs> The Rock, I love that. It just makes me think of like Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we could go home. Or, and then they just started <laughs> they singing. They had so much fun, California. yeah. Um, uh, I love karaoke so much. I know. So, if you'd like to uh, have a karaoke party, hit us up. Yeah, moral we'll of the story, there. it's just like, just let it go. It's the funnest thing to do. Yeah, don't worry about it. I love karaoke. Yeah, me too. It's the best. Uh, so, who are we talking to today? So, tonight we have Paul Curtis. Paul Curtis. I love when people challenge other people to be on because... BJ was on and he said he wanted to hear from Paul. And yeah, and then we got an email from Paul saying like, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to accept the challenge." So, if you have friends out there that you want to hear on, reach out to us. Send reach a out voice to memo. Them. Reach out to your friends. Yeah, but no, also, yeah, embarrass them on the podcast. <laughs> Send a voice memo. Yeah. I am looking forward to this one. I think it'll be great to hear from Paul and and see what he's been up to. Yeah, me too. So, here's our conversation with Paul. Let's get started, man. Cool. Let's do it. Paul Curtis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming. Why don't you catch us up a little bit? Tell us tell us what's been going on with, with you and your life since uh, since 2004. 
Yeah, for sure. First of all, thanks for doing what you guys do. Um, I didn't get introduced to the podcast until a little bit later when some friends turned me on to it. And uh, I'd always have conversations with my wife and she knew some of my friends from like really well from later in life, but hasn't gotten to know some of the people that I talk about and tell stories about from high school. And she's like, why don't you like keep up with people? I'm like, my, my age just doesn't do that. Like we don't do, and she just, she actually <laughs> discovered the podcast and was like, yes, they do. <laughs> I was like, oh, fine. Yeah. yeah maybe it's just me. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, uh, I, right after school, went to the University of Utah and uh, studied there, got my bachelor's there. And during the time that I was studying there, I got a job at an orthodontic lab. Uh, Amanda Burrell actually worked as an orthodontic assistant there. She hooked me up with a job like in the lab. I discovered that I had a love for like that kind of thing and got a chance to do some of the work with patients as well. And thought this is awesome. Like I can do something in healthcare, but not be a doctor and have these different things that are super fun. You know, anytime an orthodontist like spends significant amount of time with a patient, it's a party. You're like getting braces on or getting braces off, and patients are super excited to do that. Parents are super excited to be there. It's like their choice. They're like wanting to do it, and so I just love that and felt like it fit in with my vibe really well. And so that was something that I decided to do and pursue. So I started kind of going down that path while I was an undergrad. Uh, also met my wife uh, when I was at the University of Utah. Uh, my wife's Whitney Rogerson was her maiden name. And she went to Alta, it was a few years behind us, but uh, I got to know her, we dated. Uh, we didn't get married before I went off to dental school. I ended up going to dental school at University of Louisville in Kentucky. And we did long distance, did like a breakup, get back together thing while I was off at dental school. And then we ended up getting married between my first and second year of dental school. And she came out, joined me at Louisville. Uh, we finished up the next few years. I kind of had in mind that I wanted to specialize in new orthodontics. And so I was super involved there and had a really good experience at Louisville. We loved it there. It was awesome. We uh, got to go to like, you know, some horse racing, Churchill Downs. Churchill Downs isn't what you'd think it would be. It's like not out in like the white picket fences and green pastures. It's like right in the middle of the city and it's like dirty and gross. Okay. And, uh, but uh, we went there the first time and, my wife like bet on like a 50 to one odd like horse that ended up winning. And then she just like kept betting, like, over <laughs> like rolled like a $1 like starting point and like a few hundred bucks. And we left and she's like, let's go back every night. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a lot of fun when we were there. And she that the just to see like, the fun time. It was kind of unique. Uh, because everybody's like in the same boat, just on a schedule wise. And Steve, I know you know this, but like we lived in a like group of 20 other classmates. And so we all lived together. We'd barbecue every Friday night. Uh, we'd play like sand volleyball every weekend. Uh, we'd play tennis and like go to the pool. And it was, it was a party. We had a really fun time there. After we finished up dental school, I did a military route. And so we ended up doing military dentistry for the Navy. And I had, uh, we had our first child, my first daughter, Millie, uh, who's eight years old now. She was born right after we finished up dental school. In fact, uh, she was born uh, when I was at my graduation. Whitney had, uh, we kind of anticipated 
having me be away at military training during the time that Whitney would be delivering. And we wanted her to be in a spot where she had family support. And so she actually left and went out to Utah to deliver in Utah. And, uh, she went into, into, you know, delivery a few weeks early. And so we went out and like, she gave me a call. She's like, I'm going into labor. And I was going like to my graduation and I was like, no. <laughs> and so I ended up like leaving, basically missing a lot of like festivities that happened like during and after graduation, jumped on a plane. We ended up getting laid over in a kind of like a snow delay in Denver. And I missed the delivery of our child. Whitney had a seizure when she had the oh, epidural administered and uh, she had to go into like an emergency C-section and Millie was born and they took her right to the NICU. Uh, she had a lot of issues when she was born and it ended up being a silver lining because later on we find out that she has, she's pretty like pretty special kid. She's a fighter. She was born with Turner syndrome and uh, we didn't find that out until later. But uh, while she was in the NICU, we found out that she had a lot of the like cardiac anomalies that accompany Turner syndrome. Turner syndrome, for those of you that don't know, it's like a single X chromosome. And so you're missing a chromosome and it uh, usually has some heart issues that are present. You usually have like some, a lot of other health things that are involved, but for her, um, it's mainly her heart and she was at really high risk personally for ovarian cancer. And so she's, that, Millie's been through a lot in her eight years of life. She's probably had uh, almost as many surgeries as years of life. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of a crazy first experience with the uh, childbirth for my wife and for me. I felt like there's no more helpless feeling than trying to rush home to like help out. And you're stuck in Denver as they're de-icing the plane. And <laughs> I, I, I got there late and Millie was already in the NICU, already hooked up to a bunch of machines. Doctors weren't sure if she was going to make it. Whitney was like in not great condition as well. And so it was tough. I was in there. I came in hot, like from the airport. I got there and I was so stressed. I've never been like more stressed and more anxious in my life. Were you like, uh, stand aside, I'm a dentist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I'm like not that person on the plane. They're like, are there any doctors? I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> There's going to be like some nurses or somebody way more qualified than me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Wait, does that person have a compacted tooth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was our story with our first job. And then we ended up uh, spending our time in the military uh, in South Carolina. So we lived in South Carolina, lived there for four years uh, and loved it there. It was awesome. We were stationed at a Marine Corps base. And so it was something that was a lot of fun. We lived like, you know, seven minutes from the beach. And we lived like on a lake. Our house was awesome. You know, it, I, it was, it was a dream. Like if we could go back and be closer to family, we would have stayed in South Carolina forever because we really, really liked it there. After the military, I knew I wanted to specialize. And so got out, we went to Denver, Colorado, which is where I did my orthodontic residency. Um, and we were pretty sure we were going to stay there forever. I helped kind of open some orthodontic offices there that were in conjunction with some general dentistry offices. And we put in some work to build those up and started that while we were in residency. Uh, my wife helped me. She has a background in like general dentistry and oral surgery, like office management, front office work, and did like a lot insurance billing. And so she knows, I always say she knows dentistry better than I do. And uh, she uh, helped me out quite a bit, but that was something we worked on. And 
towards uh, the end, like when we were getting out of uh, residency, we had an opportunity to come to Boise, Idaho, just outside of Boise and Meridian to join a practice. And we ended up doing that. It was a hard decision, but we decided to do it. It felt right for our family and it was a good opportunity. And so we ended up coming here, which is where we are now, uh, just outside of Boise and Meridian. And we love it. It reminds me in a lot of the ways, like to how, you know, it was in, in Utah growing up where it was a little bit smaller scale. Um, you know, you could go out to where Daybreak is now and where Bingham High School was and you'd have like a little bit more farmland, things like that. Right. And a lot of it's developing here. Um, there's tons of growth here. It's like one of those areas that across the country it makes like the top 10 list for growth per capita. And so we're growing like crazy, but uh, it's still smaller scale than, you know, when I go back and visit family in Utah, we don't have like an I-15 that's bumper to bumper yet. So maybe we'll get there. But for right now, it feels like a throwback to what I remember, like Utah, as I was growing up. So lots of lots of fun times that we've had here in the about 18 months that we've lived here so far. Oh, cool. When you say that, I just had a question. Like when you said that your daughter has all these heart concerns, like issues, when there's been all these reports about COVID and a lot of the side effects or issues with the heart, has that been like red alert for you? Like, hey, we got to be extra super careful or... Yeah, yeah, man, for sure. Like we were crazy and we lived in Denver also during, during the day. It was like a very, I know you've talked to uh, like Zach Hewlett's been on and we actually had a chance to live not too far from him when we were in Denver. And he talked a little bit about the climate uh, for COVID in Denver. And it was like very strict there. Uh, we lived in an area where there's lots of like running trails and things like that. And, you know, I remember one time we were out with our family for a walk, like during COVID. And there was this family that came by, they were riding bikes with masks on. And they like yelled at us for not having masks on out on like an open trail. And I was like, okay, like, I'm not going to get into this with you. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we were very, very strict. Like in the beginning, we we were like took extreme precautions. And so I, I got all of that because with Millie, uh, we were super, super careful. And then she ended up, uh, she ended up after a little while catching COVID and she like didn't affect her at all. We did a lot of follow up and she was like totally fine. She's, she's a tough kid. Um, she's made through a lot for Turner syndrome patients. Like the vast majority, like 99% don't make it through birth. Hmm. And those that do, you have them typically having issues with heart stuff, uh, with ovarian cancer type stuff. Uh, with all kinds of stuff, and and so she's made it through. She's 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 a tough kid, and uh, yeah, it's been a concern, but something that we try not to let like dominate our lives. Because after living basically in a bubble for six months, where we were like, we have to control everything, we have to like you know account for everything. We're like, we can't do this. Like this can't. This is not sustainable, and this is like no quality of life for her, for us, and for for our family. And so we just decided that we had to like do what we could do but also live life and you know it's it's been good she's been super healthy so far cool yeah oh, that's awesome so paul tell us a little bit about uh, high school paul like who were you in high school how do you how would you describe yourself back then yeah so interesting to hear people's perceptive like their perceptions of themselves back in high school i think it's kind of hard to separate like who you are now in like your projection of who you thought you were. But as I've thought about that a little bit, like 
I think I was definitely, I've always been analytical. And in high school, I was like super analytical about what other people were thinking a lot of the times and trying to be like a people pleaser all the time. I was big time people pleaser in high school. And so I thought a lot about like what had just happened and I would overanalyze everything. You know, it's like, oh, that girl like slowed down when she's like coming close. Does that mean that she likes me or she's sped up? Does that mean that she doesn't like me? Instead of like accounting for the millions of different reasons that somebody could slow down or speed up or whatever. And I'm still analytical, but I've just kind of let a lot of the like petty stuff like go by and realize that I wasted way too much energy doing that in high school. I was certainly that way at the time, though. Um, also, like a big perfectionist, I grew up in a family that was super competitive. I had, a, I, I grew up uh, seven of eight kids, so we had a huge family, um, and all my siblings were high achievers, and so felt like a lot of pressure. Every month, we'd sit down with my dad, and it was like a very rigid, structured family environment that I grew up in. Uh, and we'd do goals like every month and revisit them every month with my dad. We'd sit down like in the room and he'd be like, okay, let's make a goal for like academics, intellectual goals. Let's make like a physical goal. Let's make like a social goal. And then every month he'd review and set new goals. And that like made a big impression on me. I was super goal oriented and I always had like goals up in my room on the wall. And I was like, just hell bent on like achieving those goals, like at all costs. And so that was like a big thing for me in high school. And I think uh, a lot of the times I kind of would get so caught up in that vision that, uh, you know, I probably could have like caught up on some different moments by being present in the moment rather than like focus so much on the vision of accomplishing those goals that I was trying to accomplish. And so, yeah, I think, I think that kind of defines a lot of who I was. Uh, that competitive environment for my family rubbed off on me and, I always, even though I may not have like shown it outwardly, I wasn't the kid that was like talking trash, but like inside, like I derived a lot of my own like self-worth by whether or not I won like a tennis match or whether or not I, you know, won whatever. And, you know, grades were super important to me. I actually struggled like because I just didn't really like try too hard when I was in elementary school. I remember before you got letter grades, um, it was like, I don't even remember what they were. It was like, you know, awesome, satisfactory. <laughs> yeah, satisfactory, excellent. Needs improvement or whatever. <laughs> and I remember like getting a needs improvement in a class and feeling like I was like never going to succeed in life because like all of my other siblings did so well in school. And I was like, oh no, I got a needs improvement. Like I'm never going to succeed. And I remember sitting down with my dad like when we got into high school and I was like, I'm going to get like a 4-0 in high school. And that was like a goal that I had. And I remember my dad even like kind of like chuckling. He's like, yeah, just do your best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never been like a Harsh. super <laughs> in, in, uh, like, you have any other goals, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, no. And I like, I was like, no, I am going to like prove you wrong. And so that became like a big thing for me. Like, you know, just goals and sticking to goals and, you know, almost like, almost like proving people wrong, like at different times, especially my dad, like in that moment, I was like, no, I'm, I'm doing this. Like, watch me, you know? And so, oh, yeah, good for you. making it, sticking to goals was, was huge for me in high school. Did you get four O's? Did you, did uh, you get that goal? Yeah, I ended up graduating with a four O. Um, 
Did you like grab the, the report card, slam it on your dad's desk, and be like, "Here you go"? <laughs> yeah, I feel like you know, if you guys have seen that Despicable Me, uh, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like Drew would always do like these incredible inventions, and his mom would be like, "Yeah." I almost felt like that was like. I, I felt like that was my never-ending, like, pursuit in high school. And when I was a kid, was, like, trying to, like, you know, just show my dad and be like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And, uh, yeah. you know, my dad's awesome. Like, he's one of the nicest, just, like, sweetest, most loving guys ever. But he's, like, he has, like, a high bar. He's He used to always say, like, A's are average, B's are bad, C's are crap, you know? Oh, wow. So, do you it think like, is it because you were you did you say you were a seven of eight? Uh-huh. So yeah. do you think is it because like your other siblings were such like high achievers and had done so well that you know it's like the bar was already kind of set high in like the Curtis household? Probably, but I think more of it was like self inflicted. I think a lot of it was me putting internal pressure on myself. Like looking back, like my dad was like totally had like you would have been happy if I really got C's or whatever. Like he loved us regardless. But that was a lot just me just internalizing things that I thought and like goals that I had made and deriving self-worth from like those goals and accomplishing those things that a lot of it was me just putting pressure on myself and kind of who I am uh, doing those types of things. That's interesting. Yeah. Were, there, were there other big goals? Like if you could, if you could think back, like, I'm so glad I got that goal. Like, um, I mean... I, like, I, made, I, I made a goal to get a four. I made a goal to get like a four ride scholarship. Um, and that was something like, I, I felt that was something I was able to achieve at the university of Utah. Um, I made a goal to be able to like go to dental school, did that made a goal to be able to specialize um, and did that, um, you know? And so things, things that I think have been really good. Uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I feel like I could have done better is I was so caught up in doing those goals, like moment after moment. I was just like one thing to the next. Like I was just like felt like it was almost like a checklist in my life rather than like enjoying the moment. And so rather than like enjoying some of those moments in, you know, like whatever, I feel like I was so driven to like achieve each of those checklist items that I almost like could have if I could go back and do it over again, that's what I would do differently. Hmm. is try to enjoy some of those moments and be present a little bit more in those moments rather than like always looking to the future or reviewing and analyzing the past, which I felt like I did expend a lot of energy doing. That's interesting. So, um, so then you were saying like, yeah, you were an analytical kid, right? You were thinking about, you were in your head a lot, right? Yeah. And you had goals, um, that it maybe was kind of like a, a family thing. It's just like, hey, we're like, we set goals, we uh, we shoot for them, we accomplish them. Um, what else? What do you remember about teenage Paul? Yeah, I remember. I mean, <clears throat> I was just a lot of the dynamics with my family. Right, growing up in a family that's big, you grow up in different phases. Uh, towards the end of high school, I had a brother that was just older than me, uh, Mike Curtis, who you know, like I was really close with who I felt, you know, just like he and I had some differences. Mike, Mike was like an early bloomer. He was like excelled with like athletics. He was like this kid that was like, you know, high school quarterback and just like this person where 
I felt I had to like live up to this legacy that he was living like athletically and socially. But also I could see like some of the things that went through and like happened with Mike where my parents like weren't happy with some of his decisions. And I was like, oh, I have to be that, but not this. And like just the people pleaser in me was like so caught up with that that I think that I had like a lot of turmoil trying to like be like the perfect son and the perfect student and the perfect, you know, friend and all those types of things. Um, I think that um, I spent a lot of time with my family. Like I felt because we were big and because we were super involved that I loved doing that, enjoyed doing that. Uh, but I also had like, I was really good at being people's like second or third best friend, right? Like I was always like included in groups of friends, uh, but I was I like, I kind of shy away once I started getting too close to somebody, I'd be like, oh, this is like, this is getting too much. You know, this is like, like if I, if I hang out too much, then I won't be able to go like practice tennis. Or if I hang out too much, then I won't be able to like accomplish this little school project or I won't be able to like, go to this thing with my family. And so I feel like I pulled away from some friendships and I kind of did a good job like managing friend groups and being included in friend groups without being like any individuals like like best, best friend. I, I, I had really good friends, but I think that that was something, like I said, where not being present and not like diving into those things, going back, that would have been something that I would change. And, you know, I, I remember being such like an analytical and people pleaser type person, like having situations where I would like a girl, but I knew that a friend liked a girl and we'd be like hanging out together. And I'd be like, Oh, I can't like ask this girl out. Like that's going to have this consequence and it's going to affect this friendship. And then that's going to like make me look like a douche. And you know, like I would like super analyze like the next steps rather than just doing what I wanted to do in that moment. Mm. So that's really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So tell us about, so who's Paul today? How, how do you change or, or, or in what ways are you the same? Yeah, I think, I mean, still a lot of like goals that like are involved in my life. Like I still have goals and like, like to establish goals. But I think the biggest thing for me is learning that I can't control everything, right? Like I think I've experienced a lot in life where I've learned that there's a lot out of your control. You can't account for everything. You can't possibly like role play and plan for everything because that's just not how life is. You know, I experienced a lot of that with my daughter. Um, I never planned on having like a daughter that had all these health issues and like being in a situation where I could, I was helpless, like trying to get to my wife's delivery and trying to be there in that moment. And I couldn't, like it was out of my control. And as I've like sent her back for open heart surgery, like I can't control that. Like I just have to put like my faith in the hands of the surgeon and hope that he does a good job and hope that he knows what he's doing and that she responds well to treatment. Um, you know, and we've done that multiple times. We've sent her back for several surgeries and it's, it's tough. Like it doesn't get easier each time. And so just accepting the fact that I can't control for that no matter how hard I try or want to. Like, so giving up control and being okay with it and being at peace with it has been a big thing for me. Um, also just like becoming like a lot more spontaneous. My wife is super, she's the opposite to me in that fact. Like I'm a super planner and like to be organized in terms of like having set plans. And she's like, let's go do this tonight. 
And I'm like, in the beginning, I was like, whoa, 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 we planned this, you know, and uh, it, it led to some contention and some like friction early on in our marriage where I was so much of a planner and she was so spontaneous and I've adopted a lot more of the spontaneity and she's become like a better planner. We've met in the middle and it's been good for both of us. Um, but yeah, just like embracing the spontaneity, embracing like just going on adventures and doing things that are like out of the box and out of what is part of the routine has been something that I've like changed quite a bit. And then also just like, like I mentioned, living in the moment has been something that I've really tried to practice. My wife is big. She's like a big uh, yoga, like meditation, like she's good at that. Um, and so she's taught me that and helped me find that. Like we'll wake up in the mornings and before I go to work, we'll do like a morning meditation and kind of like just have a moment to just like slow down and just like be there. Um, and you know, if I come home from work, I, I do a busy, like I, I work in a busy practice. We see over a hundred patients every day. And so I'll be like running through the treatment when I'm getting home still, like talking, thinking about patients, thinking about the next day, thinking about, you know, like different things that I have to do to follow up, phone calls that I need to make. And she'll help me like, she's really good in helping like keep me present. She'll be like, hey, we're having dinner. And I'm like, yeah, I need to like, I need to, I need to come back. I need to circle back around here. And then it like helps me dive in and like be dad mode when I like have those moments where my mind's like still stuck in work. And so that's something that I've worked really hard at. It hasn't come naturally or easily for me, but it's something that I think I've changed quite a bit over my, over the years within myself. How about uh, the people pleasing aspect? Do you still feel like that's still part of your personality? Um, to an extent, yeah, I think that like that's something that has stuck with me, but I've become much better at like embracing and accepting like imperfection. And so I like to please, please, I still like to please people in a sense. I like to, you know, I like people to like me. I like things to be happy. I like everybody to like get along. That's like always something I'm just like the happy go lucky mentality. That's something that I still continue to try to foster. But at the same time, I don't have to like put on this image of perfection. And I've learned that as you can embrace like and be vulnerable with people that you draw closer to them. Um, and I think that's what was missing in my like high school years and what like kept me from drawing like even closer relationships with some of the people that I was friends with is I like was not vulnerable in high school. Like I was, I was like putting, I was like putting on this image, right? Like this is what I want you to see. And this is all you'll see and you won't see like anything under the surface or this veneer of like the person that I want you to know. And so that uh, has been something that I think that I've uh, done a lot better job with is trying to like really foster relationships and help relationships grow by being vulnerable and like being there for people when they are vulnerable with me in return. I think I've learned, like, I think people want to be vulnerable and a lot of times it just takes like one more question. You know, yeah, if you just one ask more that question, question yeah. they're willing to share and be open and be there. For sure. Or it's like kind of like a staring contest where it's like you're waiting for that first, like the person to blink first. And once that happens, once one person shows like a sign of vulnerability, then the other person's like more than willing to jump in and do the same. And so, yeah, I think that that's certainly something that I've learned, something that I've tried to do. And even over the last handful of years, something that I feel like I've gotten much better with within my own family, um, within like friendships that I have, um, you know, I've become 
really good friends. In fact, when I look back on high school, I'll be like, yeah, I was really good friends with like BJ Piles and with uh, Zach Mitchell. And the, they, I didn't know them at all. They, they become my friends after high school. Uh, and they've been like awesome friends to me. Uh, Jordan Johnson is he is my brother-in-law. He married my younger sister. And so like he's somebody that I am super close with, obviously. Uh, but those are those are people that like, I've developed really close relationships with and, and others because of like the fact that I've been willing to be vulnerable and kind of open up and let down my guard and not feel like I always have to carry on this like perfectionistic veneer of like persona. I think it's interesting that you have like this people pleasing tendency, but then you became an orthodontist where it's like most people are just happy to see you. Like you're gonna help make their teeth look straight. They like you don't have to argue with them about, hey, you got this cavity. Great, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna pull your, you're gonna pull all your teeth now. It's like the orthodontist is the one that makes you look beautiful and handsome. And so it's yeah. like you get to be that people pleaser and help people want to smile and be happy. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's why I say it's certainly like still a part of who I am. And I love, like, I love what I do. I really, like, it's it's perfect for me. It's, like, fast pace. It's, like, upbeat. I love, like, bouncing around and being hype guy for, like, the whole day. And my days are, like, so busy that I literally, I have to, like, give up caffeine so that I don't have to take a bathroom break. Like, because <laughs> it's just, it's just, like, I don't have time. And so, but I love that. I love that part of it because I love just, like, bouncing around chair to chair to chair. Our office is set up in a circle of like eight chairs and then three console rooms. And so I just like get busy going in circles like all day around, all day long around the little like circle of treatment chairs. And so it's, it's fun. I love it. But I also get a chance to like spend time with people when I like have more time. It's when they're really excited to be getting braces on, getting braces off and like seeing a kid that like goes from not being confident about being around in like social settings and then they get their brace off and they're like so stoked to like go, you know, like the other day, this dude, he's, he's a, this little Hispanic kid that like got his brace off and he was like, yo, thanks, man. And I came and gave me a hug. And he's like, I'm going to go ask that girl out. And uh, he was just like so stoked to like get up and like go like live life. And so being a part of that is so cool. And also the relationship building part of it, because I get to see kids every every month every couple months and so being able to like see them over time and build relationships with them is just so cool and when you get a chance to do it through multiple kids and like see families evolve over time excuse me over time um that's that's like my favorite part of what i do that's awesome so i want to ask you about your big lessons even though you you kind of did mention them during your changing you kind of said like oh i've learned to like slow down a little bit and live in the present but i I want to know, like, what else have you learned? What are your, your big lessons that, you, that you've learned the last 20 years? Yeah, a lot of humility. Like, in those moments where I've learned that, like, it, like, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. I have a lot of, like, personal flaws. I have a lot of, like, things that I've been through um, where, like, I just haven't been able to control it, whether it be with my family settings, like my daughter, or just individually, right? Um, and so just being okay with failure and realizing that like, it's okay to fail and like failure helps you like build character. If you're just like batting a hundred percent and just never like miss that there's like, that's too easy. You don't build character through those moments. Like it's through the failures that you really like learn and grow. 
and like having those under my belt, having like failures on my scorecard, like that's something that's really helped me. And so being able to like see that I can fail and still get up and dust myself off and continue to like move forward, that's been a big thing. How did you learn that? Uh, your your big failure lesson? Oh, just just multiple times, you know, just in day to day life. I am like such a perfectionist that as you add more and more to your plate, it's it's easy to like feel like you're succeeding when the only person you have to take care of is yourself, right? But when I went back to residency um, and was doing orthodontic residency and I was trying to be like the perfect resident, but also like a good dad and also a good husband, I had a lot of anxiety during that time. Residency was hard for me because I was going back with two kids. We were working on our third and ended up having our third in residency. And I felt like a failure all the time because I like wasn't able to like, I know what like being like, you know, at the top of your class looks like. And I wasn't that like in residence because I just wasn't able to put that kind of time in. Um, and so I had to be okay with like being good enough. Like in sometimes I was like a really great outstanding resident, but other times I had to divert my attention to be like there and be present as a dad and be there and be present as a husband. And, you know, I think that uh, learning that I have to like let go and be able to like put a lot into relationships rather than take them for granted. Uh, there've been times during my marriage where I just kind of like wasn't putting in as much work as I should have been. And like, you don't maybe notice that after a day or two or a week or two or whatever, a month, but like over time, like there've been times where I've had wake up calls where I'm like, wow, like I need to be a better husband and I know how to do this. And like, I haven't been doing this because I've let like this goal X, Y, and Z take me away from this. And this is my number one priority. Like for me, I need to be like, this is, and so going back and realizing during those moments where I felt like a failure and realizing that I can't be like the number one resident, the, the, like the best dad, the best husband all in one, like I'm not capable of doing that. And so I have to be more present to know like where to divert and flow my energy and my attention during those days and weeks and months so that I can like be the happiest version of myself and also help my family be the happiest version of themselves. I love it. I love it. Are you, um, are you planning to, with your kids, have a, a goal setting interview? Hopefully. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good question. I, it's interesting because I think that when we're raised in like different, different environments, you take like good and bad. And I've noticed like for some aspects of it that like such competitive environments for me, had like consequences that I want to like, I want to be a little bit less competitive in my home life than what my family was in terms of what I experienced growing up. But there's also like a lot of that competitive nature that fueled me to be like, in, accomplish some of the things that I've done and, and yeah. the person that I've been. And so finding that line is important. And so we certainly like set goals and we certainly do that. Um, but for me, you know, I try to, rather than like it's more important than setting the goal itself is like showing my kids early that it's okay to fail and that I, that their like personal worth is not derived from whether or not they accomplish that goal 
because I feel like so much of my anxiety through life has been attached to me feeling value attached to accomplishing or not accomplishing goals. And so, yeah, I think that uh, like showing them has become like my top priority, showing them love and showing them acceptance and showing them that their intrinsic value is not tied to the outcome of that goal, but still like emphasizing the importance of goals. And that's a hard thing to do with like, eight and five and two year olds, but <laughs> yeah. I, we, try to, we try to do it in our own way. No, I love it. Well, there's like that fine line, right? Where it's like you, yeah. you want them to start to understand setting a goal and achieving a goal. And like, you know, when you achieve that goal, it feels really good. And when you don't, it doesn't feel good. But at the same time, you want to allow them to make mistakes and not achieve those goals. And Hey, it's going to be okay. You'll still grow up and be an awesome orthodontist, probably. <laughs> you know, but you can, I think you're right. Just helping them at eight is not going to be the same at five. It's not going to be the same at two and just kind of, and every kid is totally different. So I like that you say you're, you're taking the good and the bad from your experience growing up and you'll be able to tailor it to your kids' needs. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like parenting, as you guys know, is no easy task. And especially as our kids get older and I'm like, okay, I remember a lot from when I was eight. I like feel like now I'm like right. in the big things where I'm like, they're, they're going to remember this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> no, yeah. I feel, yeah. And so I, I feel more and more pressure, like the older they become. Um, and it's not like they haven't been shaped and influenced by what we've done with them earlier, but it just, it feels more real as I recall memories from the time that I was that age. Yeah, for sure. So Paul, um, do we have any beef? Oh, I was thinking about that. You know, really in high school, I knew you two, but we weren't like close. I wouldn't say like, we, we didn't like hang out. And it was almost like in high school, if they weren't your friends, they were like your competition for like, you know, in high school, you hang out with groups of guys and groups of girls. And so other groups of guys that aren't your immediate friends are almost like competition for hanging out <laughs> with other groups of girls. The more, like, I didn't know you in high school, but the more that I've, like, gotten to know you from listening to the podcast and stuff. It's funny how in high school, like, like you'd look at somebody and you'd have, like, no reason, like, not to, like, like, I didn't know you guys in high school. But I remember sometimes, like, having somebody say something like, yeah, like, I don't even, I couldn't even give a specific (laughs) example, but like, yeah, Steve, like, he like went to the dance with this girl or whatever. And I was going to ask her and I'm like, oh yeah, he's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's just like what you have in your mind. But I was remembering and was laughing about one memory from you, Gonzo. I don't know if you even remember this, but you probably don't. Um, because I never talked about it with you, but, uh, it was, uh, I don't know if it was like a powerlifting class or if it was just like a day, like in the gym or whatnot. Um, but I was doing like bench press and you came in, you were like spotting me for just like a random like moment. Right. We weren't working out together, but you like came over to help spot me. And at the time you did this thing where it was like Fridays flies down. and you came over to spot me in a wide base in a fly down that could be like a precarious situation i just remember like i didn't really understand why your fly was down and i like 
I like told you before, I was like, hey, your flight is done. You're like, yeah, it's Friday. And I was like, you're about to spot me. And so you still like insisted on like standing over me for my days with your fly down. Oh, man. Like, if I if I get like a peek at the gonzo anatomy, you know, oh, no, I'm not going to be happy here. That's enough to get me canceled. Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> next week, there's going to be a new co host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, Paul. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> the response is like, yeah, it's Friday. I'm almost like, how do you not know this, Paul? It's I know Friday. that. So for a while, I did Commando Fridays, too. Or maybe it was Commando a different day. But I don't know what... Yeah, I, I did stupid stuff like that where, like, do a different different day, do something different. But, so Sorry, sorry, Paul. No, 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 no real beef. No. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, I, I've been wanting to ask you ever since, uh, ever since I knew you were going to come on. Is just, do you miss doing class two fillings? <laughs> oh, dude, no, I don't actually. I do miss, uh, I do miss like doing some things that were like instant, like you were done. Because I love like having long term relationships with really good people, which most of the people are that way. But every once in a while, you have like a patient or a family where you're like, yeah, I, I could never see them again. And I don't get to do that with <laughs> ortho, you know, like I still follow up every, you know, and so uh, I do miss some of the like immediate fixes where, you know, in the military, I got a chance to do like, you know, some crowns, veneers and some aesthetic work where it was like instantaneous. And now I have to work a lot harder, harder for it. It's like, you know, comes about over time with orthodontics. And so, Doing that, um, I miss that. Yeah, instant gratification. That's that's a good answer. I <laughs> <laughs> should be an orthodontist. <laughs> instant gratification. Did you have to do a lot? Like in the Navy, did they have you doing like huge amalgam fillings for everything, or is that just like army? No, people? that's kind of like a. That's kind of a stigma that's not true. Like in the military, they have better equipment. It's more set up than anywhere I've ever seen. And you can choose, like, as a doctor, what you use. Um, but I've never seen it quite like that. I, and I went in and I was like, okay, it's going to be, like, subpar equipment. It's going to be. But really what it is is they have a massive budget that they want to use every year. And so it was almost like you were over-ordering stuff. You had, like, too much stuff, too too much of, like, the new tech. And so, um, we, uh, yeah, we were pretty spoiled. And I got a chance to do a lot of oral surgery, like a lot of wisdom teeth and things like that when I was in the military and felt like that was going to be the route that I was going to go for a minute. I almost gave up orthodontics to do oral surgery. And I went and kind of assisted with an oral surgery, uh, like rotation and was going to like go in and start doing a residency there within the military. And the first patient that came in when we were, you know, experiencing quote unquote real surgery was like an attempted suicide with a shotgun mm. oh, and they, they were putting the guy's face back together and just the mood and like the language and just the whole vibe of like the surgeon's office. I was like, nah, this like, this isn't my culture. Like this isn't for me. And the same day, like we went down and went to lunch and there were like, there was like the orthodontist table, like right next to the oral surgery table. And the oral surgeons were just like, like sitting there cussing everybody out and just like miserable and just like so mad and angry and gruff and like right next door is like 
<laughs> like the or the, the table was just like so happy and they were all just like smiling and laughing and joking and I was like, I'm hanging out with these guys for you know, so that was where I like switched back to gears where I'm like, This is this is where I need to be. That was kinda like the aha moment for me where I kinda rededicated myself to going back and doing what though. That's funny that they like didn't just sit together. They were like, oh no, surgeons in this table and like ortho in the other table. No, the surgeons it's, are they're it's, they're it's better. Than everybody. Yeah, some some parts of high school never change. <laughs> 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 it's, still, it's still clicky. Oh, that's funny. Paul, do you have anything that you'd like to promote? No, not really. I mean, yeah, it's, if you guys are ever up in Idaho or if there's anybody who lives in Idaho that I don't know about, yeah, come out and see us. Um, but uh, Are you going to give Borgmeier some free braces or something? <laughs> they move, They just yeah, move. I don't know if it's in Boise or maybe they live in like... He lives in Eagle. Or I, yeah, he lives in Eagle. I actually met up with uh, Borgs and we played some golf a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I uh, found out that he was living here. I had no idea for like the first year that we were close and he and I, at one point during our high school year, were really close. You know, we broke a window at a church and would sneak in and play basketball, like, after hours. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, Ryan Borgmeyer and I, we played on the tennis team together. So, uh, Ryan and I were close, and we just, it was fun to be able to re- reconnect with him. It's been a long time since we talked. Oh, it's funny, because with that video that Gonzo posted... It was it, just you, you two and, are the only two yeah, and Borgmeyer were the only <laughs> two people on the video. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. It's probably because Bryson was filming it, and we knew Bryson. He's and just so, like, that's enough. And tennis. Tennis, <laughs> and tennis, let's be honest. Tennis in high school was not like they were just like, we have to go do this. Let's get it over as fast as we can. <laughs> <laughs> he just recorded for five minutes. Like, oh, that's <laughs> enough. <laughs> let's just put it on loop. <laughs> oh, Paul. Well, then before we leave, do you have a fun story that you'd like to share? I remember uh, in high school, uh, I was hanging out with Josh Heaton, and we were driving around in the Jeep, and we used to, like, hooking up a water balloon launcher to, like, the angles of the roll bar on his Jeep. And uh, I remember passing, like, a group, and Elena and, like, a group of girls were out there, <laughs> and we, like, didn't even think about it. We just, like, shot water balloons their way and totally got them wet. And I feel like they were, like, dressed to impress. They were probably, like, going... To like go out and go <laughs> dancing or whatever. And I always felt bad about that. Like looking back, I was like, oh, that was probably not the best move. Yeah. <laughs> but we used to have yeah. <laughs> Alina, so, send in a voice memo. 100% worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just a lot of stupid, fun stuff like that where we had a few, you know, use the same water balloon launcher to go torment people that we knew that worked at Snow Shacks. And like shoot water balloons out of from the top of the road <laughs> until the drops would come. Uh, so yeah, just just some fun stuff like that. Oh, that's good fun. times. <laughs> water balloon launchers. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing. It was great to see you. I I know when you were gonna be you were gonna be in town and we we're gonna play some tennis. But then yeah. we just yeah. happened to be out of town when you came on. But Anytime you're down here, let's let's hit some balls around. Yeah, let's still make it happen. Play some doubles. BJ yeah, talks sure. about, uh, BJ talks about it all the time. He's like, dude, when are you coming down? I play with them every Saturday now. We're going to start playing every Saturday. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're pretty steady. Every Saturday we're playing. So it's well, been good. Good. 
They're all I'm better than me. You guys are brushing up on your skills. Getting dangerous. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I'm really good at returning it really nice and just getting, <laughs> getting beaten. I, I have zero power behind my hits, but, you know, we're getting there. Well, cool, you guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you taking oh, some time. Thanks, Paul. Good night. Right. Good night. Later, guys. Have a good one. So, Gonzo, you just finished talking to Paul. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Ah, I got thoughts. It was so good to talk to Paul. I'm like so embarrassed about the about his beef, not beef. Uh, <laughs> Commando Fridays. I know. Commando Fridays. Maybe it was Commando Thursdays and Fly Down Fridays or something. But yeah, I'm such an idiot. So, so um, yeah. So, sorry again, Paul. <laughs> um, it was good. I, I loved like hearing, obviously hearing about the struggles with his daughter is like. I, I get the feeling of learning to that you don't have control over everything and learning to be able to let go of some of that was was great. It was so interesting. I was I was so interested about his growing up and, you know, having essentially interviews with his dad about like goal setting things. I mean, that's like that's why I wanted to ask him. It's like because it sounded like he kind of liked that. He that was good and that he felt it is a positive thing in my life. But at the same time it was it was a, a cause for some anxiety. So then I was that that's why I'm like, "Hey, are you going to like keep doing that?" Because I thought it's actually kind of cool to get someone on to goal setting and being able to feel those accomplishments of like, "Hey, I got I, I did I did this and to start like so it builds out. confidence, right? So I thought that was great, but then it's such a balance of like you want your children to build confidence and feel like they can do anything. But then again, it's like, well, you also want them to enjoy life and be ex- and be happy throughout and not feel this anxiety of like, this is where you're going to find your value of like accomplishing goals. So I, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. Um, we talked for a while after. It's, it's like, I did wish, it's like, it would have been awesome to be, you know, closer and to be uh, more friends with him because he, he's like, seems like a sweet guy awesome guy so i i really loved it yeah i felt like uh i felt like there was a ton of stuff a lot of similar things um I, both of our wives are the same age and they both went to alta so we got to find out like if they're if they're friends or maybe they're enemies or something you know he's like the mirror steve <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that he's way better at but uh it was just i i liked the same thing you said i liked the goal setting and i liked how he Know, the way that he said, well, there's good and there's bad. And he's taking what he liked from it and, and tailoring it to the needs of his kids. I liked how he said that as he's gotten older, he's been able to be a lot more present. Because yeah. it seemed like that goal setting thing was really a huge deal. Like, hey, hey, what's your next goal? All right, did you accomplish it? What's your next goal? Did you accomplish it? What's your next goal? And so he was always thinking, oh, okay, I have this goal. I have this thing I want to do. I'm going to get a 4.0. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to become a dentist. I'm going to become an orthodontist. Like, he always knew what the next thing was. Um, and and that's a very useful skill to develop to be able to set and achieve goals. But I love that his wife has kind of evened him out and said, hey, we're going to do this tonight, like right now. And uh, I, I, and taught him to slow down and be mm-hmm. mindful. And it seems like... Yeah, level him out a little bit. Yeah, so I, I thought it was great. Um, I, it makes me wish he lived closer so we could actually like all hang out. But, I know. But, uh, you know, that's okay. <laughs> Sweet. Um, if you'd like to be on the podcast, 
send us an email, jordanhigh2004podcast at gmail.com. Um, we're actually like getting pretty close. I think we only have like four, four episodes on the, on the calendar. So if you can send us an email, you'd probably get in pretty soon. So we'd, we'd love to uh, hear from you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.